0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books.
1: Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another edition of Wireless Books from the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute broadcast from the lovely studios that are, or soon to be were, Otago Access Radio and Community House before the big move is made to the bespoke recording studios that stars of Otago belong
2: and us. Okay. Hello, Beth. <laughs> now, shall we just get straight into it? Because there's actually a lot on this um, episode, and we'll go straight into books, and then we'll get on to other stuff. Okay. Okay. Right into yeah, Now, I've got this book, and I didn't buy it because of the title. It's called The Librarianist by Patrick DeWitt, and it's the story of Bill Comet, who is a retired librarian, and He's a man who found love and lost it and he leads a solitary life. He has, has his own house and he gets up and he, he likes to go walking but that he doesn't really interact with people most of the time and he comes back and he reads and tidies the house and all that sort of thing. And he's very content with his very insular life until one day he goes out for a walk and... Circumstances bring him onto the path of an elderly lady who needs his help and he returns her to her retirement home and it changes his life because he, for whatever reason, he decides that he's going to start volunteering at at her senior centre. And here he finds a community of strange peers and he Yes, he gets painful complications from his past and the story of his life is revealed. And he was an unhappy child who ran away to adventure during the last days of the Second World War. He won true love and had it stolen away. And then he became a librarian. And this this has had very good reviews. It sounds absolutely charming. Yes, it is. So, yeah. I think I think it will do well. I might have to. Unfortunately, it's sort of got an uninspiring cover. It's sort of a yellow. No, it
1: hasn't. It's got a a good old-fashioned library Mm.
2: card cover. It's
1: oh, look, that's nostalgia. That that will have the book flying off the
2: shelves. I don't know, but I think I'm going to be pointing it out to a few people, and I think sort of word of mouth will do it the world of good. Now I've got, I've got just the book for for Beth here. It's called New Beginnings at Lily Fields, and the the writer is Lottie Bloom. And it's <laughs> it's a beautiful pink cover with a a woman in a cowboy hat looking pensively into the distance. And there's a genre of uh, Australian outback romances, which I think has been very successful in about the last. Twenty years or so, and this looks like it's part of that genre. But actually, it's marginally different because although our protagonist, um, Orla, has um, she's a she's Australian and she's an actress who has been give, has got a really good role in a movie which is being shot in Christchurch. And or an Akaroa, so this is actually set in Akaroa, and so we're actually in New Zealand in a lovely at the Akaroa Peninsula, and she she gets her part is an Akaroa, and she has um, accommodation on a on a little um, cottage, and she gets involved in the community and a certain brooding young farmer. And yes, so uh, Beth looks delighted. She can barely wait to say no. (laughs) Where's
1: my cowgirl hat so I can be suitably attired
2: (laughs) when I read it? Well, it's I, I actually have read it because normally I read a little bit of most books, and this is a very easy read and I found it vaguely amusing and of course I went to Akaroa on a holiday a few years ago so it was it's kind of nice. Yeah. Akaroa is beautiful. It is beautiful and um, it was during COVID so there were no cruise ships there so it was even even more beautiful <laughs> but I think the cruise ships have moved on now they're back in in Littleton, aren't they? I have no idea. Yes, I think so. Anyway, moving on. Now, this is a book I did buy because of its um, title, or just because I read the synopsis and really loved it. It's called Grave Expectations. It's by Alice Bell, and I think she's a first-time author um, anyway, and it's about a young woman, 30-something, and she's a freelance medium, Claire and Claire.
1: Yeah, Claire. Oh, good. <laughs> and I don't understand by what they mean by freelance medium. Aren't they all freelance or do they all work for a company?
2: I mean, how does it work? Well, I think it just means that she's sort of got to make her own way in the world, but she isn't. The thing about Claire is actually she is genuine and she has been a medium since her teens when her best friend was murdered and she's been out, seen haunted by the ghost of her best friend ever since. And um, so, yeah, so Sophie really leaves Claire's side. So she's she's not doing very well because although she actually is a real medium, she's not very good at the theatricals of it. and And so she's not very good at making people... Buy into Mm. it, so even though she's telling them the truth, they she can't sell it. So she's less successful than people who are more have more showmanship, but actually aren't genuine. Mm. You know, it's quite quite often the way of the world, isn't it? People are more drawn to um, charismatic charlatans. Yes, so true. So anyway, she bumps into an old um, university friend who is um, a girl from a certain background um, her family once had a, st- or they still sort of, it's kind of almost inverted commas, they still own their stately home but most of the time it's rented out for weddings and conferences and whatnot. so although they technically own it they really can't use it for most of the year but they always book out a certain weekend where the whole family can gather and they um, it's, I think it's just to celebrate the woman, the the matriarch of the family's birthday, and each family member takes it in turn to arrange an entertainment, and it's. Um, Claire's old friends turn to do the entertainment and she's sort of a bit lost for what to do and she, she bumps into Claire and thinks, and, and Claire tells her that she's working as a, you know, as a medium and so she thinks, oh, perfect, you can, you can come to the house and, and do readings for everybody and of course Claire's desperate, you know, she's not doing very well, so she's desperate for money so off she goes to this, this old ancestral pile and immediately she picks up on stuff And then the matriarch dies, and so she's sort of thinking, "Oh," and so it just it goes on from there. And there's been a murder, but maybe not the murder you expect. And so she starts investigating, and she befriends two members of the family, and they all start undigging digging up old secrets.
1: Oh, it sounds
2: grand. Yeah, it's it is good fun. I mean, I. I, I don't know. I just love that sort of thing. I I've sort of am fascinated by people who supposedly see spirits and stuff, even though I don't know that I, I, I believe it. As to people who drink spirits? Well, they're not quite as fascinated. They they're probably not. think they are. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have the latest, um, Sherry La Pena. Everyone here is lying. And... Her last one, Not a Happy Family, was such a gripping read that, oh, yeah. that I've really sort of yeah. become a real, a convert to her. And this is um, a, a suburb, it's called Stanhope, a place for families, and everything is perfect here but underneath the surface maybe not. And we start off with um, William Wooler, who is a family man and he's, he, he's a doctor but he's been having an affair. Him and one of the neighbours have been sneaking off to a, a motel at the edge of the town and um, parking at the back of the motel, and and so nobody can see them. And they they think being so discreet, but are they? But anyway, the woman he's having the affair with breaks it off with him, and he's devastated because he feels that he loves her and he he wants them to to run away together but she no she's got children and she just she has to stop it so he he's devastated and he thinks well i can't go back to work because normally he sort of he's a doctor right so he just blocks off um, an afternoon a week to spend with his lover so he thinks oh, i'll just go home Nobody will be home. His son's got a cricket, not cricket, baseball, because they're Americans, and his daughter has choir. So he gets home, and his daughter is at home, and she's nine years old, and she's sort of on the spectrum. So she's sort of a bit cheeky, without meaning to be cheeky, it's just her manner, but she. He, find, he finds her difficult to cope with. And so he asks her why 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 she's home. And she says, oh, I got, you know, I got sent, Choir sent me home and she just walked home, even though she's supposed to wait for her brother. And so he starts, he's trying to have a conversation with her, but she, she's insolent and he just, and he's upset. So he finds himself just, he loses it. And then he goes back. He goes back to work, and then when he comes home, she's disappeared. And so um, there's a six-year-old. Sorry, a nine-year-old child who's disappeared, and it it sets up a whole um, police inquiry, and people people are hiding things, and the police have to dig underneath the lies. And of course, the the title "Everyone Here Is Lying" um, is oh so true. And uh, yeah, I I haven't read it all, but I've read enough to think. Oh, I think I'm going to read this later. And lastly, I have the latest book by Anne Pat- Patchett, and it's called Tom Lake. And it's now she's um, she's always pretty reliable. And this is a story of a woman that when she was a teenager, she she um, she played a part in a play, and her leading man, who she also dated, went on to become a famous actor. And so, and she stayed in she stayed in this small country town and uh, married a guy who has a farm and so she has an apple farm and and has a nice life. And she's got two daughters, and the daughters have always been fascinated by the fact that this famous movie star actually dated their mother when she was young. And so, they keep wanting to know. School, Stories about it and stuff, and it's sort of a bit of family lore. But part of it, she is, she wants to, you know, in a way, she sort of thinks, Oh, I would like to keep this to myself, thank you very much. But her children keep keep bugging her about it, and um, it's kind of become a joke, whereas it was something um, precious to her. So it's about family relationships. Oh, yeah. So, we have a little stink. Well, we
1: will in a moment, but it's very important this week to celebrate uh, Agatha Christie's birthday. Now, I'm just looking up. I'm sure it's September the 17th. Um, well, right, it's a few days ago. Yes. Uh, now, it's absolutely um, wonderful. I bumped into my, uh, one of my sisters, who is also a member of the Athenaeum, and she pulled out of her bag, look what! I've got, which shouldn't say it like that, of course. Um, <laughs> it, um, and it was 450, 450 from Paddington. And I said, oh, I know, I got that out last time. Isn't it <laughs> wonderful? And who says Agatha Christie's irrelevant um, anymore? And she said, who says that? No one ever says that. September the 15th, all Agatha right. Christie's uh, birthday. And she died on January 12, 1976. And all this week, and I think for a couple of weeks actually, Actually, in Torquay, they're having the Agatha Christie Festival and they've unveiled a new sculpture um, of her. And in the promo um, for the festival, they had s- uh, uh, some of the locals in the old-fashioned bathing suits oh. and all that <laughs> doing, um, you know, oh, to what song, whatever song you want, you know, from the back, <laughs> back then, 100 years ago. And, um, you know, um, swimming in the sea and doing dances, and they had the, whole, the a drone going over, you know, for f- oh, the wow. making patterns, just like they did in those old glorious movies, those big choreographed movies, you know. But they were all svelte girls, and I mean, Esther Williams movies, yeah, 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 stuff like that. All, all the famous. Um, Mm. people back in the 1920s because you know the movies and in the 40s to mm. the forties, because the movies then one were all in black and white and two had huge sets everything was absolutely on a scale larger than life and I've been enjoying listening still to all of the uh, Agatha Christie plays that I can get my little ears into because one thing I love about um, her stories, is obviously the books, the screen adaptations, mm. and and the plays, because they're all very different. They all come to the same conclusion: who the murderer mm. is, you know, and the people were murdered one by one, just as in the books. But the screen adaptations and the radio plays are very different, and I just marvel at how talented the screenplay writers were to change some you know sets characters like for example death in the clouds in the screen adaptation the um girl who was helping poirot oh, i've forgotten her name in the screen adaptation she was an air hostess mm. but in the book she was actually a hairdresser oh, right. right but you know mm. but you know how the screenwriters change the characters and the way they May get to the conclusion but they're all just so wonderful and I think they're so clever at doing that one because they're brilliant writers but two because her books are so brilliant that they can be um, interpreted in, in many ways without losing the essence of who the characters are, it's just that they're different occupations and you know they go to different hotels and things, but the conclusion's always the same. Oh, right. Okay. You don't quite believe me.
2: Well, I think sometimes they do change the murderer, but anyway.
1: Well, they don't change the mi- I've been very thorough in my investigation.
2: Okay. I'll, I'll take you at your word. No, right.
1: Oh, right. You're annoying me now. You're going <laughs> to a sting. I can't believe it. Try to have one wee bit of air
0: time and you just nag, nag, nag. For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedenathenaeum.org.nz That's Dunedin A-T-H-E-N-A-E-U-M.org.nz
2: And we're back. Okay, great. And it's actually... This is another celebration because it's 130 years since women won the vote in New Zealand. What date was that? Oh, was it the 19th of, oh. of September? That the law was passed, I the think. The law, of, oh yeah. yeah.
1: But, and while we do know International Women's Suffrage Day is coming up, I think, on the 17th of October. And I do love their colours, green and purple. And they had all dinner sets, everything made and um, green and purple with women's suffrage written on it. And They're just beautiful, the designs that they had.
2: Yeah, they were very artistic. Yeah. Now, bear with. Oh, bear with. Um, yeah. Ah. Right, so I'm <laughs> yes, so I'm going back to my old favourite George V. Um, Never a Doll moment by Jane Radley, and this is about the coronation. Um, and it had aspects in it that I didn't know because the Victoria. Memorial, which is the statue in front of Buckingham Palace with the um, with the fountains and stuff, and the statue of Queen Victoria. I knew that was a memorial for the Queen, but Admiralty Arch was also. Um, a memorial for Queen Victoria and it was commissioned by Edward VII but it was only completed they were both completed in 1911 in time for George V's coronation i'd always had a vague idea that that Admiralty arch had been there forever just about but no it's quite quite recent really Ooh. just over 100 years and it was the home of the um the Lord of the Fleet and stuff. But um, they've actually sold it to a hotel group now and it's going to be a, a five-star hotel right in the centre of London. So that's pretty going to be pretty <laughs> cool. So anyway, um, the King left Buckingham Palace at... Half past ten in the morning and there were 8,000 people who'd been waiting in Westminster Abbey since half past seven. So they'd been waiting for three hours and I don't think there were any toilet facilities. It must have been quite a, quite a pain. <laughs> now, after the ceremony, the royal children travelled in a coach back to Buckingham Palace without adult supervision and to the delight of the crowds, a stand-up fight broke up between Prince Harry, who was 11 years old, and Prince George, who was 8, the future dukes of Gloucestershire and Kent. And their sister, Princess May- Mary, who was 14, tried to intervene and nearly had her coronet knocked off. So oh. <laughs> so the newspapers made a big thing. I've never heard heard no, that story no. before. It's, it's fantastic, Delightful. isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, so I've got... I have more just have to to get on to the next one. Um, right, so this is more about oh, modern technology at the opening of Parliament on the tenth of February um, nineteen fourteen, the Lord Chancellor blundered and failed to hand the king the specially printed large type version of his speech. George was annoyed. He claimed that he needed large type because nervousness made his hand shake. But the print grew steadily bigger as he got older, and at the end of his reign, the type was enormous. He had no wish to use Peds' nes, you know, those... um yeah, monocles. That, or, or the ones that sit on your mm. nose, while wearing uniform, and court protocol forbade the monarch from wearing spectacles. Well, isn't that interesting, because I... Yeah, you know, the Queen always wore specs mm. when she was doing the Queen's Speech, but um, yeah, so that's interesting things about the royal family. More to come, lovely. but we actually have some sad news, we do. and I think Beth probably should talk about oh,
1: it. Oh no, no, not at all. For those of you, yeah, we walked in the studio, and our lovely young Domi, mm, no lo, idea, no idea. Roger Whittaker, that great great whistler, has died. He died on Earth when tuesday Thursday, oh, I think. Oh no, Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday the Yeah, so, um, yeah. so n- those who care will know and those yes. who don't won't
2: but, so, but we're,
1: we're sad. Yeah, and Christina and I agreed on something and we're going to end this uh, show on um, a song that we agreed on of, mm. of the great Roger Whittaker. Lord knows there's plenty to have argued over but here we go, we're going to end the show on this um, and we want to all wish you happy reading and it's Durham town.
3: Back in 1944, I remember Daddy walking out the door, Mama told me he was going to war, he was leaving, 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 me. I've got to leave old Durham town, I've got to leave for I've gotta leave old Durham Town, and that even gonna get me down. When I was a boy, I spent my time sitting on the banks of the river tide, watching all the ships going down the line of land. leaving Leaving, leaving, leaving. I've got to leave old Durham town I've got to leave old Durham town I've got to leave old Durham town And that leaving's gonna get me down Last week, Mama passed away Goodbye, son, was all she said There's no call for me to stay, so I'm leaving Leaving, 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 leaving free I've got to leave old Durham town I've got to leave old Durham town I've got to leave old Durham town And that leaving's gone me. I've got to leave
0: The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851.